Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Good morning, family, friends, Crosswalk. It is good to be at worship together here with you. So glad that you're with us. We, uh, we continue on in our series, actually, the very last of our new wine series today. Just want to highlight again, because we've asked you to start praying about this. We're going to have a campus week next week where we kind of just spend some time with Jesus. And then on the 17th, we launch the Invitation series. It's going to be a, a trip through the back end of the Gospel of Luke, landing at Easter, March 30, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the story of Luke telling us. And I just want to encourage you to consider who's been on your heart that you're praying over. And maybe what God is going to invite you to simply do is pray. To just pray over them. Speak the name of Jesus across your concern for them. But maybe, just maybe, during that series at some point, it'll be to say, hey, I'd love, let's get together. I've got a little small group study I'd love to just do. Or maybe just come with me. Just come with me to Crosswalk some point during this time. We like, we're hoping, we've designed this series as a special opportunity for us to reach out to the people that we love, that we care about, our friends, our neighbors, our family. So today, we continue and we land the plane in our new wine series. It started out with the parable of the new wine into new wineskins, and we dealt with that. We dug around in that a bit. We ended up in John chapter 15 talking about the, the branches that we are connected to the vine and this call to connection with Jesus Christ. And Last week, along with a couple of other interesting side notes, we spent some time in Matthew and talked about Jesus' call, that we come and partner with him and that we be yoked to him and that actually that yoke is a yoke of freedom, that he lifts us to the experiences of the day. And today, we'll continue on this final week what I'd like for you to consider is more. More. We're going to take a look at a, a miracle, something that happens in the book of John, new wine, not a parable, but teaching us truths as Jesus actually makes new wine. So we go to John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the new wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replies. My time has not yet come. And his mother says to the servants, well, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six water jars that were made of stone, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, 
everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best to last. And then John says this. This is the first of his miraculous signs. Jesus performed this at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory. And his disciples put their faith in him. As we encounter the Jesus who challenges us to be ready for new wine with new wineskins. Hearts that are prepared for new. And are prepared for more. The one who says, I am the vine, you are the branches, stay connected to me. Maybe has something to teach us in this particular story. You know, wine in the Old Testament and through Hebrew culture actually carries symbolic meaning. To have wine or to share wine is to share a blessing. To have wine is a sign of prosperity. It's used to celebrate and to pronounce joy. And at its core, wine in the Old Testament was a symbol of life. Of course, you know, Jesus, John chapter 10 says, I have come not just to bring life, not small life, not lowercase life, not just enough life. I have come to bring life that goes beyond any other life. Life that is, I need to say it twice, life life. Not the temporary, not the almost, not the for sure, not the never enough life that we so often feel, but more. I know it's interesting as we think about this. John finishes up. This is the last verse of the book of John. He says, Jesus did many other things as well. If, there, if, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. John's saying, look, I, I've had to make some choices here. I, I couldn't tell you everything. If I tried to tell you... So, so what you've just read in my book, it's, it's kind of some hand-picked things. I'm I'm really uncovering on purpose. So one really has to wonder when John shares what his purposes are. Because he had plenty to choose from and he chose this instead of all the other things that he might have chosen. By the time we hit John chapter 1, these kinds of things have happened. Of course, John starts by trying to explain who this Jesus is, the Messiah, the one, the creator God that was in the beginning, that through whom everything was made that has been made. And he is life and light, but humanity struggles with light and can be just soaked in darkness so that light could show up and we would not recognize it. I've got to say, I was standing right there in the front row and uh, during that last song, light showed up right in my face. I'm not, I don't, I'm not complaining, but my natural move over to the sidewall to pray was expedited. <laughs> Just a tiny bit. It's in the darkness. I mean, think about this metaphor, that the darkness would be so enveloping you that that light could just go bam in your face and you couldn't even recognize it. 
John says the light has come to this world and you'll be tempted to pass it by. The life has come and you'll be tempted to settle for less when Jesus has brought you more. So Jesus is baptized in that first chapter by the one who would say, I'm not even worthy because this is the Lamb of God that takes away of sin, the sins of the world. And so you have the third Christian. You remember the first two Christians, right? We talked about this over Christmas time. The very first Christian was Mary. She believed against all craziness, she believed. And Joseph, without a baby growing inside, stuck around because he believed. And then the third, John the Baptist, a cousin, who says, even though you won't fully explain how to unpack this, all those times we have sacrificed lambs at an altar, now here is what it was all pointing to, our, your, my salvation. And a voice from heaven, some don't recognize the voice, but a few do hear a voice. And they begin to wonder and start to follow Jesus. By the end of that first chapter, Jesus has followers turned disciples. They are now with Jesus, right? And so, we get to John chapter 2. We get to John chapter 2. This story is only found in the gospel of John. By the way, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, depending on how you calculate what a miracle is and what a miracle is not, is casting out a demon, a miracle, or is raising somebody from the dead, a miracle, is healing somebody from paralysis, a miracle. Well, if depending on how you count up miracles, in the, the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are in the mid-twenties or so miracles. John tells seven. So it feels a little bit like a waste that he picked this one. He's saying, look, I, there, there aren't enough there's not enough paper in the world to fill, to, to, to capture all the stories of Jesus. So I'm going to only tell you a few, and so they're going to be important ones. And we're listening to this story, and we're saying, well, why? why? Okay, so Jesus made juice. That's cool. No, 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 no. Let's sink in. Let's listen close. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. We're going to just unpack this a little bit, and we're going to start with this comment on the third day. The phrase on the third day shows up in Scripture with power and meaning. On the third day, Abraham arrived at Mount Moriah, knife in hand, sun bound. And God says, I have provided. Do not raise your hand against the boy. On the third day, Esther put on special garments to go in before the king and plead for her people. And it led to deliverance. On the third day, in Jewish understanding, that means something. It, it, it holds together this idea of special blessing. Do you know, in Genesis chapter 1, God 
It says, let there be light, and there was light, and he says, it is good. And as he marches down through those six days, it is good, it is good. Do you know what? On one day, he says, it is good twice. By now, you might suspect it's the third day. So over time, Hebrew culture began to consider the day of double blessing. Double blessing Tuesday. Of course, they wouldn't use Tuesday. The third day. In fact, interesting, in, in Matthew, Jesus will refer to the third day, I think, three times. And in, in Mark, I believe it is, he referred to the third day five times. And when he does, he's referring to his resurrection on the third day. Of course, we know it's the first day of the week. But it's the third day. And if this has ever tripped you out a little bit, Jesus says, I will be crucified. And then I will be resurrected on the third day. And some of us are going, okay, so Friday, he's crucified. One day later, he's in the tomb. Two days later, he's resurrected. Third day, I don't know. In Jewish reckoning of the days, there is today and there's tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow is the third day. So when Jesus says, I will be crucified, and then the tomorrow after, I will be asleep in the tomb. And the day after that, the third day, I will rise up. And John doesn't hardly even get started with his storytelling, and he packs in this power on the third day, which many scholars would believe it actually was the third day of the week because many Jews would plan their weddings so that they would start seven days of just celebration and partying would start on the day of double blessing because a marriage deserves a double blessing. So they would start it on the third day, on a Tuesday for us. So on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana. You might not be terribly familiar with Cana. John's the only writer that mentions Cana. He mentions it more than once here and a little later in the fourth chapter after the woman at the well experience, John says, Jesus went back to Cana the place where he had changed the water into wine. And many scholars, this is about seven, eight miles from Nazareth, close enough that you could likely have family in both locations. Many scholars suggest this is one of Jesus' places, Cana. As he goes, he goes and his mother is there and his mother Seems a little bit in charge. And I don't know if this is just generally Mary's situation. More likely, this is a family wedding. In fact, by the time we get to the end of this section and then we bridge to the next story or the next action, in verse 12, the commentary says that Jesus and his disciples and his mom and his brothers went too. See, they were there. It was a family situation. Some scholars suggest, by the way, you know, 
his most recent disciple making in John chapter 1 is Nathaniel, who John at the end of his book will be recapping all of the disciples and he will say, Nathaniel from Cana. The idea that Jesus somehow is related to somebody at this wedding, that his disciple Nathaniel, or otherwise called Bartholomew in the other Gospels, was somehow related. This was a family occasion. Maybe even. Could it even be the, the wedding of one of Jesus' brothers? James, for instance, who writes the book. Because Jesus' mom is fairly involved. And somehow feels a special connection to how this goes. In any case, Cana is a small town where everybody would be invited. And so, <clears throat> here's the passage you're wondering about, I'm sure. <laughs> Verse 12. All right, so, his mom comes. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And I wonder what John might be trying to say here. He's only picking seven of these. He's just picking from all this that he would want to say. And he frames it this way. When the wine is gone. That, if you just play that, think about that. That phrase, when the wine is gone, it sounds like John is saying... Sooner or later, the wine is gone. Well, let's just think about it for ourselves. No matter how great your day has been, sooner or later, the wine is gone. It's not if the wine is gone. Turns out the wine was gone. It's when the wine is gone. And maybe you've had such a glorious, wonderful life that there's been no moment where there is not enough of life, of success, of joy. But I would hazard a guess. You've had some of the when the wine was gone moments. John wants to say, look, I understand. I know. The difficulty, the pain, the struggle, the sense of failure. This, this I, I know. And if, because of, and in the midst of your followership of Jesus Christ, you, you think that there's not going to be another moment. There are moments when the wine is gone. And Mary says, they have no more wine. We live in a world of not enough and no more. Somebody here is likely to have a family member buried within a week of this time, back or forward. Someone here is struggling with their job situation. Someone here has the potential collapse of an important, important relationship. Someone here is struggling to understand what should I even say to my children as they round the corner into adulthood and I'm struggling. Someone here, uh, look, we all have it. This is a not enough world. This is a no more world. And Jesus steps in with more. 
So, Jesus is asked for the wine. Now, what you need to understand, in part, if you don't know this, is that the groom, not the groom's family, the groom in specific was responsible for all the preparations and the accommodations, all the food, all the beverage. That was the groom's responsibility. It was a part of showing hospitality to your whole family and the whole town. And based on such a good start on a day of double blessing... Everything is perched for success. And if they run out, guess whose fault it is? The groom, who will never, ever, ever live down that he was not enough. In a town where you cannot hide. Maybe it's one of Mary's own sons. She comes to Jesus. He has run out. He doesn't have enough. He isn't enough. I think it's important to notice that in the most common metaphor in our relationship with Christ, there is a bride and there is a groom. Who is who? You are the bride. I am the bride. Jesus is the groom. Some of us decide we're going to step into this spiritual journey and we're going to be the groom. I'm going to provide. I'll do this thing. I'm going to get across the goal line. Here we go. And you are not enough. And you are never God's plan to be enough. His plan is that Jesus is the groom and he's the one who provides. You will never be able to supply the ingredients for your own salvation. You will always fall short. You will always be a running out. Not enough. You can have a great day. But when your wine runs out, it's over. And you are a shame if you are the groom. No, no. In this metaphor, Jesus says, I am the groom. I come from, I prepare, I supply everything. Here in this particular situation, maybe one of Jesus' own brothers facing the, and he, and, and he doesn't even know. Mary has sorted it out. Mary has figured it out and has slipped aside to Jesus. Remember, she has decided long ago, he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the sent one. And probably she doesn't even know how to get a handle on this. But she brings it up. It kind of makes you wonder how many other times in the last 30 years there have been moments where she says, um. So Jesus, there's a situation. I just, I don't, I'm not saying. I just want, I just want you to know. And she comes to Jesus says there's not enough. Jesus responds, dear woman, why do you involve me? 
do you think I'm the groom? And then he says something we're going to come back to. My time has not yet come. It's a puzzling thing. Because that sounds a lot like no. And then he does it. Have you, ever, have you ever had somebody, you ask for a favor, and they are going to do it, but they're going to make you feel bad while they do? I don't have time for this, but here we go. This is going to wreck my day. You're welcome. I'm going to suggest there's something else going on here that we're going to revisit. But before we do that, we plow forward his mother, crafty woman that she is, as she leaves the room, says to the servants, well, if he says anything, go ahead and do it. Because she knows. Well, nearby, we could dig into this. Pots they had prepared for their own purification. Hopefully pointing to purification given by God, but Jesus repurposes these pots. He says, fill these up, fill them up, just fill them up, fill them up. No, 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 I'm not sure you heard me. I think you might have heard me say, put some water in these. I said, fill them up. And so they fill them to the brim. Again, I've confessed, there are an awful lot of passages of scripture I kind of say are my favorite. John 10, 10, man. A thief comes to give you half stuff, almost things, not nearly enough, and wine that runs out. But Jesus comes with more. No, no, I don't think you heard me. I'm not saying Jesus comes with more than the thief comes with. I'm saying he comes with more than you can handle, more than you will ever exhaust, more than you need for today and tomorrow and the next day, third day. He's got so much you will spend eternity trying to even understand it. More. So they fill them to the brim. Ah. More. In a never enough world. John, look, I don't want to go further here yet. We're going to get to the risen Jesus. But, but just, he steps in and in his first moments he's trying to tell you something. He is more. In a world that is not enough. And you are not enough. And you will be suckered into this moment where you try to be the groom. Nah. It is connection with him. So that when you scroll forward, dear reader, to John chapter 15 and you hear it said that he is the vine and you are the branches and you can do nothing without him, keep in mind you can do all things with him. Because he is enough. Ah, no, 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 that's wrong. He is more than enough. This thing, in the midst of it though, Jesus says, he introduces this idea of time. And it's, a, it's an idea that John loops back on a few times. 
it's, it's not quite the right time. You're not going to understand what time it is. You're going to think it's a different time than the time that it is. And even on the subject of more, you're going to want it all right now. And I'm telling you, there is an enveloping of time that matters. And when you look back, you'll understand at just the right time. And more is what is needed for today, for you to move through today. And then there's going to be more. And many of us want all now. For some of us, when our loved one passes away unexpectedly, that's a sign that he is not more. And Jesus says, no, no, no. you got to keep time involved in this situation because I am more than enough. There are things that it's time for and things it's not time for, and you're not going to understand this. In John chapter 7, when his brothers have been telling him, and by the way, John will tuck in there this, they were, they were challenging him in part because they didn't actually believe he was the Messiah. That he should go and do miracles in Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what that would do. And so he says, you know, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is the right time. Somehow tucked in the midst of this miracle story of John, chapter 2, John is saying, look, you're not going to understand the rest of this book until you grapple with the fact that there is a timing that God can see that I cannot. And I'm going to be crushed by the cross only to be risen with Jesus on the third day. And there's going to be some darkness that's difficult and Jesus is going to say, I know, I know, I know. You would pick this time. You would pick this time. Be patient, stay connected to the vine. Because the wine I make, I make fresh every day. So there is new wine for you today. And there's going to be new wine tomorrow. And there's going to be more new wine. So there is today's. And there will be more. John chapter 5 a similar situation is going on. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. That is easy to preach and hard to live. Yeah, I can talk to you about loved ones that I think deserve to be alive right now. So I hear Jesus' words and I'm a little confused, crossed from death to life, except Jesus says, no, 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 you, gotta, you, you really deserve all of the more. Starting with what it's time for more today, but there's going to be time for more tomorrow and it might be difficult for you to understand. I tell you this truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so we pray and we are dashed when they don't live and a moment later he will say do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out it's as if Jesus is saying look I'm going to try I'm going I'm to try so there, there is now and, and there is coming a time, and, 
and I am making new wine now, and I am, I am, you're going to want it all here now. Hold on. Hold on and stay connected to the more wine-making, life-giving Jesus who gives us life enough for the day and has everything in his hand to give to us through our future. I don't know what it is he needs to give to you today. I don't know what it is that's not enough in your life right now. I just know this, that Jesus is your only way to more. The kind of more that looks past a grave. The kind of more that lifts you amidst disappointment. How much more powerful is it to raise you from death than to simply keep you alive? Jesus, he's made promises to you. The promise is that he is the groom. For some of us, we need to get out of his way and stop trying to be him, even in our own lives. Let him supply righteousness, forgiveness, blessing. Let him develop his time. We're all going to want it now, of course. You know what's interesting? Jesus does not begrudge that of us. He says, ask for it, ask for it. Just know this, it's going to be given to you. And there's some that it's on time now, and there's some that it's on time not yet. Oh, how awesome is it to consider that all that I have enjoyed and been given is only the beginning. And that this Jesus promises more. I love this passage, you know it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. They are new every morning. And what that means is you probably want to show up tomorrow for his mercies. Don't get overly discouraged about his mercies that you were hoping would land today. Because tomorrow there are new mercies. And it will stretch you. You're going to need new skins for the new wine he is perched to deliver on today and the day after today and the third day. He is a God of more. So far. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, Go to crosswalkvillage.com slash Chattanooga and click the Give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.